I'm not entirely certain how that happened. Um, I said the perfect storm. I said uh, big waves, right? Uh, rogue waves, high winds. But uh, I think that the uh, I think that the reason we went with that is we realized that this series needed to take advantage of every chance of levity we had, and there's not many. Um, as Brad mentioned, when you're sailing, and I haven't been uh, this season, but when you're sailing, if the weather turns bad, you race for safety. Right? You're always sort of scanning the horizon. You're always get the weather channel on. And at the first sign that there's a storm, you want to head to any port that you can get to. But there are times when uh, that's not possible. Uh, there are times when you are going to have to sail through the storm uh, that, is, that is out there. I have a picture of uh, a time uh, I was sailing across Lake Michigan. I had a couple, uh, two of my boys with me. And you can see the storm clouds in the background. When we left, it takes about 15 hours to sail across Lake Michigan. When we left at 4 in the morning, there was a 15% chance of uh, showers. And what you can't really see in this picture is that uh, above, the, above the horizon, it was blue skies. But there was just this band of black, and it was coming at us. And uh, the winds went from 5 to 10 knots to about 45 knots. Waves are crashing over the bow. There are times when you get stuck in a storm, and there's no port nearby, and you're going to have to sail through it. And that's what we're looking at with this series called Broken, preparing for the day when life stops working and your faith is, uh, is challenged. Um, so I hope that by now you've had a chance to read the book, which uh, I don't have with me, but they're, they're, the book has... Uh, four basic points that I make in the first of the five books that we've handed out. One, that, that trouble knows where you live, and one day is going to knock on your door. Two, Americans, are you particularly bad at suffering? Right? Because we're so influenced by secularism that says life is about happiness and pleasure, any deviation from that, we're seen as victims and uh, everybody feels sorry for us. There's no potential upside to the trials that we're going through, as other cultures would see. Third point that I make is uh, the time to prepare for trouble is before it arrives. And then finally, in the last point in that book, I say uh, there are real opportunities to grow. There are upsides to being knocked on your backside. They're not automatic. Uh, not everybody who grows old grows wise. You, you have to work at it. You have to work through it. And uh, some people are not willing to go through those exercises. But um, I hope that you are. I had planned this series called Broken before my stroke and before my father's death. Uh, I had planned it because it was, my, it was my observation that way too many people were surprised when life stopped working. Way too many uh, Christians, but others as well, were just uh, unprepared for trials. And they were, they were shocked that it was happening to them. And that makes it all the worse, right? If you know that you're going to face difficulties, then when the difficulties come, right, there's a sense in which, okay, well, I, I'm surprised that it's happened now or in this way, but I knew this was coming. 
But if you don't understand that it's coming, it can be particularly uh, challenging. And so uh, I want to uh, I want to prepare you. I want to be sure you're prepared for the day when life stops working and your faith is tested. Now, a couple just observations high level. One of them, the key one is that the book and the sermon series are different. Okay? They're, they're related to the same topic of being broken. But the sermon series is designed to help you walk through a major loss, to understand the stages that you're going to go through when you face a major crisis. The, the person that did the pioneering work on this was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her seminal 1969 book, On Death and Dying, where she identified five stages. Uh, the stages were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I'm not really going in that direction. I want to I take advantage of a sermon that I heard given by Rick Warren six months after the death of his uh, 27-year-old mentally ill son, Matthew, by suicide. The first time Warren came back to preach six months later, he used, um, he described the stages that he had gone through as being shock, sorrow, struggle, surrender, sanctification, and service. And, and, and here's the deal. The first three are a given. You will be shocked. You will be frustrated, depressed, sorrowful about that, and you will struggle. Okay? Ultimately, that struggle is with God. You may or may not understand it that way at the time. Some people never move past stage three. They stay stuck. They're struggling. But you can move beyond into surrender, sanctification, and sanctification is just a 25-cent theological term for spiritual growth, and ultimately service. And that's, that's the win, right, if you can get there. The best person to help somebody who has gone through whatever, divorce, uh, cancer, lost a child, right? The best person to help somebody in that spot is somebody who's already been through it. The best person to help those who struggle with addictions are those who struggle with addictions, Right? And so there's an opportunity for service down the line, uh, and I want to be sure that um, I want to do what I can to help prepare you for that opportunity. It's coming. So today, I, I'm going to make four major points. The first one is this. You will be surprised. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 12 says, As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. Right? As, as fish are caught in a net, as birds are caught in a snare, we will be caught at some point. You will be surprised when something bad happens. I had two major shocking surprises uh, this last six months. The first one, I wrote about this in the book, came uh, with the call. I've shared before that Sherry and I knew that the call was coming. Both uh, her parents and mine at the time were alive, and they lived uh, far away, and so we knew that one day the phone would ring and it would have bad news. And uh, when the phone rang, 
uh, six, six months ago, seven months ago. Um, I sort of knew right away, even before I answered it. I picked up my phone, I saw it was my parents, and I thought, hmm, they don't call during the week. We talk every week, they call me on the weekends. I might, I might call them during the week, but they don't call me during the week. So I thought, this doesn't look good. And as soon as I answered, my mom said, Hi, Mike, it's Mom. Just a second, I want to get Dad on the phone. We want to talk to you together. And so, in one sense, then when he said, uh, in the last few days, I've been in and out of the doctor. They haven't liked some test results. It turns out I have cancer. I was, I was expecting, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be cancer, but I was expecting the news to be bad. What I wasn't prepared for was when he said, apparently I have four to six weeks to live. And that was shocking, right? I almost couldn't process it at first. I tried to repeat it out loud, but I broke down. And I'm like, four to six weeks? No, that's not the way this thing plays out. So uh, that was one surprise. The second surprise, obviously, was the stroke. Um, So on, on April 17th, the day, Thursday before Good Friday, I went for an annual physical. And uh, I, I argued, didn't argue with the doctor, but I bantered back and forth with the doctor because I said, look, I want to go on Lipitor. All my friends are on some sort of statin. We go out to eat, they get a bacon double cheeseburger and fries. And then I'm eating a veggie burger and a coleslaw, and they're saying, yeah, my cholesterol is negative 53. And I, and I'm, I said, I want, I want that. I want to, I want to. And my doc said, no, no, you're fine. You don't need any cholesterol medication. Whatever you're doing is great. Stay on that path. You know, I wish everybody was as healthy as you are, da, 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 da. So 24 hours later, I'm in my office here on Good Friday. I stand up behind the desk, and I have a few moments of being dizzy. Nothing that really got my attention. That happens from time to time. But uh, then it happened again later in the morning, and I remember thinking, huh, well, maybe I'm dehydrated. started drinking a lot of water. And then uh, in the afternoon, uh, I had some real serious dizzy spells. And so I'm just thinking I've got a bad case of the flu or some inner ear thing. And I didn't have any of the typical symptoms of a stroke because I had something very rare uh, happen. I had this, it's called a dissection, so uh, for, for reasons, and they believe that it's because of the way I was breathing when I was swimming, distance swimming, because the weather was so bad, I had aggravated a certain part on, uh, on one of the vertebral arteries. So one of the arteries coming up through the spine and then going into the back of the brain. And that, that spot got angry and, and got swollen, and then it started to fray on the inside. And when a flap opened up, blood got in there and started to burrow in, and eventually it ballooned out, and I had, uh, I had a stroke. So <clears throat> my stroke was uh, called, it's, it's followed a vertebral dissection. And uh, about 10 days ago, a men's fraternity, I had a man come up to me. He says, look, I'm a neurologist, and I've been following your situation. He goes, you realize you're something of a miracle. And he said, well, you know, I'm very appreciative to the great medical care and the prayers of God's people, and I realize I'm making a significant recovery. And he said, well, he goes, your situation is very, very rare. I said, yeah, I've, I've heard that. And he said, well, in all my practice, I've only ever known of two vertebral dissections. 
I said, oh, huh, well, and I said, how are they? He goes, well, there's two young guys. And he said, one of them died, and the other one got, uh, has locked-in syndrome. And I go, well, what's locked-in syndrome? And he goes, the only thing he can move are his eyes. So I'm, I am aware that my recovery uh, is shocking, and that the more informed people are about what happened to me, the more shocked they tend to be. Uh, I'm, very, I'm very thankful for the recovery that I've made. But I just want you to hear, I was completely shocked uh, that I had a stroke, right? It just was like, and it took me uh, a while to accept that fact, like most of a week before I could even process it. And that leads to the second point. Some surprises will put you in shock. Some surprises will put you in shock. Now, I'm not using the word shock here in the medical sense, like where you got blood uh, to the organs, problems, your body's starting to shut down, that kind of thing. I, I'm referring more in a biblical sense. The word shock shows up a lot in the Bible. Jeremiah says, a horrible and shocking thing happened to me. Ezekiel says, uh, I sat for seven days shocked at what had happened to me. I couldn't move, right? I just sat there. I didn't do anything. I was so dumbfounded by what was going on. Isaiah, I'm in terrible pain. I'm shocked. I hurt so much. I can't hear or see. My head is spinning. Okay? He says, I'm just, I, I'm, I, I don't even know how to process what's going on. David, Psalm 143. I'm in total darkness as someone long dead. My heart is heavy. I feel numb all over. Those guys are describing the first stage of a major loss, which is just to be shocked, right? To be completely, you know, set sideways and sort of unable to think or cope. Now, you've, you've heard this before, but it, it bears repeating, right? You're either coming out of a crisis, in a crisis, or about to go into a crisis. Or someone you love is about to go into a crisis. And uh, these, you know, these crises can come in a variety of different ways. It could be financial. It could be uh, health-wise. It could be uh, relationally. Right? I, for, for a period of time, about a year and a half ago, for four months, I had one conversation a week with uh, families that were declaring bankruptcy. And in many cases, half the cases, their financial situation was much worse because they had gone into shock and had been paralyzed and not taken any corrective action. Medically, again, right, you know, I, I, I don't... This is not a sermon series that I have looked forward to preaching. Uh, there are sermon series that, that you really look forward to preaching because I get to give good news and tell everybody happy things and everybody gets to be happy and smile and feel good about themselves. I'm telling you that if you live long enough, the odds are really high that at some point the doctor is going to say, hmm, I don't like the looks of that. We need to run another test. Okay, I need you to come back into the office. We need to talk. And you're going to hear things like cancer and stage four or terminal, right? That's going to happen. 
medical challenges are going to hit us or relational challenges, right? You may think my marriage is strong, it's good, and all of a sudden you find out that they have been cheating on you or all of a sudden you find out that they want out, right? I I wish none of these things were going to happen to any of you, really. I mean, hey, I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but you need to hear it from somebody. At some point, life stops working. And some of those times, you are going to be so surprised that you will go into shock. Point number three. There are things uh, that you can and should do when others go into shock. It may be that the crisis is not for you. It's for a close friend. Well, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, by helping each other with our troubles, we truly obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that we should love our neighbor as ourself. And that means that sometimes you're going to have to step in and help others who are in a state of crisis. And I want to give you three very specific things to do when someone you love is shocked by what's going on. The first thing, show up. Okay? Just show up. Don't wait for an invitation. If this is a close friend and you hear that they've just been fired at their job, or they just found out that they have cancer, or, heaven forbid, that their child has been killed, if you hear those kinds of things, you just have to go to them. You have to show up. Don't remain on the sidelines. I I heard from my mom um, about two weeks ago that my dad was used as an example uh, in a sermon. And that's um, not surprising, although for most of my life I thought if my dad was going to be used as an example in a sermon, it would be for the opposite reason than the one that he was. My dad had a great, had a great fourth quarter of life. Um, And before that, He did not abuse us at all. I don't want to overstate this in any way. Uh, He provided for us financially, but he was angry a lot of the time. And uh, my relationship with him up until I was in my mid-30s was pretty bad. Uh, We were, you know, we were drawn to each other, but at the same time, we did not, uh, we didn't see the world the same. And when I had made a decision uh, I was in pre-med program. When I decided I was feeling called to ministry, that was like a 10-year setback in our relationship. And I would hear things like, you're not going to be able to provide for your family. My secretary is going to make more money than you make. You know? I mean, I just, so I just stayed away, right? It was just like, it was just easier to just stay away. And I prayed that somebody could get through to my dad in ways that I couldn't and could share the gospel with him. And, uh, and they did. And he had a, a really, uh, you know, relatively profound personal transformation to becoming this very kind, caring guy. And it was shocking. I mean, literally, when my brothers and sisters and I would be around him and he'd be doing something, we would say, who are you? And what did you do with our dad? Uh, you know, it was good, but it was just very surprising. So apparently, a guy in my dad's small group, uh, his wife passed away. This wasn't a surprise. She had been in a long uh, time decline. But he called, and, and uh, this is 
This is after the funeral. He calls, and uh, this guy doesn't return his call. So he calls and calls, and he starts to escalate the calls, and the guy's not returning his calls. So then he calls other people in the small group. Any of you seen, you know, or, or talked with Jim? Nobody had. So then he really goes on the, on the warpath, and he's calling eight, ten times a day, trying to get a hold of Jim. And then eventually, after a couple days, he said, he just left a message, and he says, Jim, I'm coming over tomorrow morning, and I'm not leaving until I see you. I just got to know you're okay. And apparently he just stood on the front porch for an hour, ringing the doorbell, you know, until finally uh, Jim, who was not okay, right? Jim was in shock. Jim was depressed. Jim, Jim wasn't taking care of himself. And so, you, you, you know, you got to show up. Job's friends are rightly criticized for the counsel they offered Job, right? The story of Job, Job chapter 1, everything's going right. He's the most successful. Everything works. Job chapter 2, everything is taken from him. And, uh, and he goes into a tailspin. And in Job chapter 2, it says that uh, his friends showed up. Uh, when Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. They didn't wait for an invitation. They knew they were the 2 a.m. friends, and they had to go. They showed up. Let's watch this uh, short video by Lori Gladley, longtime member at Christ Church. Hi, my name's Lori Gladley. My husband and I were married for 25 amazing years. We had the fairy tale. It was short, but it was so awesome. We, um, everything that we did together, we loved doing together. We were each other's best friends. We loved raising our children together, and we um, enjoyed the same things. There was a chaplain that came to the front door with a couple of police officers. Craig was killed in a car incident on November 6th. I just really wanted everybody to leave and I just needed to regroup. It's a very weird thing to have people standing in your home kind of watching this go on. It's like there's an audience for you to find out the absolute worst thing of your life. When you lose someone suddenly, there is a lack of closure. I, I feel that there it, it really strengthened my relationship with the Lord because He was the only one that wasn't a surprise to. I probably kept a lot more inside in an effort to, on the outside, always want to be reflecting Christ. And in my mind, that was really wanting to put on that, I wouldn't say it was a happy face, but wanting to present myself in a way that people would see that I was okay, because I was okay. I was grieving, really grieving, but I was okay, because I knew that the Lord was carrying me. I knew that He had carried Craig into His arms, but I then had to figure out how I was going to live my life without this person. We were such a part of each other. We, we really were truly that man and woman coming together, being one in every sense of the word. There's just so many layers of, of 
having to find new ways to do things. You don't just miss the person. I mean, that's the worst part. But then your life, everything changes. And it brings you back full circle to wanting to, um, needing to just so rely on the Lord. And He brings me comfort in lots of different ways. We were incredibly blessed with amazing friends. And they rose to the occasion the 2 a.m. friends and they showed up so from the person that I called when Craig when I got the news that came and sat with me to the person that came the friend that came and drove me to Ohio Grant and I to get Paige from the friend that came and coordinated everything at the house here everything with the funeral wrote the obituaries friends that were there no matter what I needed they were there for me having those friends that stepped up to the plate and didn't just think it but did it was everything to me so if I could encourage those that aren't going through trials that are in the good places be the 2 a.m. friend to the person that's in the hard place because we really need you and not just for days and weeks for months and years the first thing that you do for uh, friends family members, people that are, that are close to you, is you show up. Uh, Job's friends did that for seven days. They just sat with him, right? Uh, they didn't get in trouble until they violated uh, the second thing that I'm going to tell you. So first, you show up. Secondly, you shut up. Now, uh, <clears throat> I don't say shut up to people, but uh, I'm using it here because you'll remember it. Show up and shut up. That's the assignment. Uh, you do not want uh, to try and answer their questions. First of all, it's not going to help. When they're asking, where is God? How did this happen? How did they die? Even if you know the answer, it doesn't matter. They don't need answers, right? So don't answer those kind of questions. Do not ever say something like, I know, I know how you feel, or it's going to be okay, or God must have a special plan for you if he's taking you through this. Or all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called. Don't say any of that, right? Just, just shut up. Your assignment is just to shut up and to be there. And the greater the pain, the fewer the words, okay? So if somebody has a bad hair day and you want to talk to them about that for a couple hours, that's fine. If they've just lost a child, your job is to show up and cry. That's all you need to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, where God tears gaps, it's best not to try and fill it with words, okay? Where God tears gaps, it's best not to try and fill it with words. So you just show up and cry. I'll occasionally get a call from somebody and say, my neighbor down the street, their, you know, college son just died. I just heard about it. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, hang up the phone, go down the street, ring the doorbell, and just give them a hug. Don't say anything. Just show up and let them know that you're there. That's what they need. The third thing is that you, you need to do the common sense things that need to happen, right? You need to figure out who's watching the kids. 
or mow the lawn, or bring in the mail, or bring a meal. You might have to coach them because they're in shock, and so they're not thinking clearly. You want to keep them from making any big decisions. When I was in the hospital, right, I'm in the neuro ICU ward, okay? I can't sit up. I, I, I can't swallow. I, I keep my eyes closed because the room is spinning, right? I mean, I am in rough shape. I keep trying to check myself out, right? I keep trying to get people, I said to my youngest son on the first day, help me get out of bed and then let's just make a break for it, right? I go, I go that they're going to try and keep me here overnight. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just, I was clueless on the Monday. So I had it on, on Good Friday. On Monday, there's a team of neurologists at the foot of my bed and they're talking. And I said, excuse me, I'm supposed to fly to LA tomorrow and then there's a meeting and then I've got to be at a conference in Memphis and then I'm supposed to end the week leading a retreat in Wisconsin. I can drive to Wisconsin, but I'm just wondering, am I cleared to fly? (laughs) Again, I can't sit up, I can't open my eyes, I can't eat anything, right? I mean, my biggest challenge is just staying in bed. I kept rolling into the bars, and I need somebody to pull me out of them. And here I am. I'm going, am I cleared to fly? And they didn't answer. And I remember thinking, jerks, I'm asking a, I'm asking a basic question. So my experience, and I think this is the experience of many people who are in shock, is that it's like somebody gets a dimmer switch and starts to turn it up. And all of a sudden, you're aware, wow, I'm seeing a lot of things that I realized I wasn't seeing before. So it was just a few weeks ago that I said to Sherry, I go, do you remember on that Monday, all those neurologists were there, and I'm trying to ask, you know, clearance to fly? She goes, oh, yes, I remember. I go, do you remember that nobody answered my question? She goes, oh, we're all just at the end of the bed, just rolling our eyes. She goes, one of the neuro-residents said, I've never seen anybody more clueless than this guy. <laughs> so, you might have to step in and just think through the very basic practical things that you're going to need to do. When I go as a, uh, as a pastor to, to some crisis... Right. What I'm looking for, I mean, I want to talk with the person, but what I'm there for is to figure out, is somebody stepped up yet? Right? There's a small group there, and usually a neighbor or someone from the small group will pull me aside and they'll say, don't worry, we're on this. Right? We've got to figure it out. We're going to be here. We've got around-the-clock coverage for the next three days. We've talked to the family. Sister's flying in on Thursday. We will be here for the next... 72 hours until the sister comes so that we got we're full time on this right that's what you're looking for when someone is in a significant uh, shock so if your friend family neighbor someone that you care for has had a major loss show up shut up and help out practical ways point number four One was you'll be surprised. Number two is some surprises will put you in shock. Number three is you need to help those who are in shock. Number four is here's what you can do if you're in shock. If this is you and you've just clued in enough to realize, the dimmer switch has been turned enough for you to realize, whoa, 
I'm in trouble. Okay? Then there's a few things I want to say for you to do. First of all, cry out to God. Psalm 50, 15 says, Call to me in your day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you honor me. We honor God by calling out to him out of our deep pain and agony. Lamentations uh, chapter 219 says, Get up, cry out in the night. Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Why, Why are you being coached to uh, cry out in the night? Because you can't sleep, right? Because you're so distraught that you wake up. And this hasn't happened to me much, but you wake up and you think, please do not engage, brain. Do not start thinking about what's going on. Because if, if I start thinking, then I'm up. And, and so God is saying, pour out your concerns, right? God, I'm mad. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm desperate. God, I'm broken. God, I'm full of fear. God, I'm sad. Whatever. Pour out your concerns on God. Number two, let others help you. Okay? So, again, as I'm leaving a hospital, somebody is, is in there. I'll say often, sort of as a casual comment as I'm leaving, now you realize that you're going to have to let others help you now. Right? And 90% of the time, what I get is, yeah, I'm not so good at that. I like, and then as if it's an original thought, I like to be the one helping, not the one that is helped. I have a hard time being the one that's helped. Well, right, we all do. It's called pride. I want to be the one that's got power. I want to be the one that's got my life together. I want to be the one to help somebody that's hurting. I don't want to be the hurting one. But when we're hurting, we need to let others help us. We need to, we need to allow them to come alongside and to help us. The third thing um, that you need to do is you need to not hide. Okay? Now, I came back and preached a message in the middle of the summer on purpose when I was, couldn't stand up, my voice was weak. I, I did that and I said it at the time that I wanted to do this in order to advertise that we show up when we're broken. Okay? When I was being loaded onto the ambulance, I... I, I uh, I had prayed. I remember, Lord, if I'm going to remain this dizzy, please just take me now. I am, I am not interested in this at all. And then I remember thinking, no, I don't think I'm going to die. But I do think that I am going to be expected to model brokenness, which is very hard for us to do generally. But I'm just going to have to show up broken. I'm going to have to be in situations where it's obvious that people could hurt me and I couldn't do anything about it, right? I need to, I need to go there. And, and the tendency when we've been fired, the tendency when we got bad news about our marriage, the tendency when, when something bad happens is that we want to withdraw and hide. We don't want other people to know. And that's often the exact worst thing that we could do. When we're 
in sorrow, and I'm going to talk about that next week. That's the second phase, grief, depression, sorrow. When we're in sorrow, what we need is worship. When we're in shock, what we need is fellowship. We just need people around us. It may be that you don't want to talk to anybody. That's okay. You just want to have people around, right? I just enjoyed having some people in the room, having conversations about life as it normally existed. And that, that I, I didn't have to, I wasn't going to be the center of, of attention, but I just wanted to be, I, I so desperately just wanted, see, I said to Sherry over and over, I just want to be able to go out to dinner with some friends and walk and be able to eat. I mean, I, I want to, but I want to do this with friends. That's what I desperately want. So you need to not uh, hide. Well, um, look, if you're in crisis right now, you need to let somebody know. Uh, if you're in a small group, you desperately need to let them know. And by the way, I've, I've said this in all the services, because I don't ever quite know where to say it when I've got your attention. If you're in the hospital, you have to, you have to call us and let us know. Okay? Used to be, 20 years ago, the hospital would call us and say, so-and-so who goes to your church is in the ER. So-and-so who goes to your church, has surgery scheduled. So-and-so is in ICU. HIPAA laws make that uh, impossible. So now people think, wow, I was in the hospital for two weeks and nobody from the church came to see me. We don't know, right? Somebody has to call the office and say, so-and-so is in the hospital. So if you're in a crisis now, if you're hurting now, if you're sorrowful, depressed, whatever, you have to let somebody no. That's, that's going to be part of the process of moving through this. And what I want to do is I want to pray for those who are hurting today. And we do this every week. We say at the end of the announcements, there's people up front, welcome a chance to pray with you. But almost nobody shows up. I mean, let's be honest. Three people show up. And it's not because the other 500 have got their life together, right? It's not that the other 500 have got everything wired in. It's, it's that they don't want to walk forward and have somebody see them. So, okay, here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask, in a second, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And then I'm going to give those of you who really go, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in a pretty good spot right now, a chance to sit down. So, everybody please stand if you're able. If... Uh, you're broken in a significant way right now. If you're struggling, right? If, you're, if you can't sleep through the night, if you're worried about your job, if you've got a diagnosis that's bad, if your kids are, are really, you're very concerned about them, you're concerned about your marriage, right? If there's, if there's that or any one of three dozen other ways where you would say, yeah, I'm not doing as well as I'd like to be, I want to encourage you to remain standing. But if you go, and there will be times when I would say, I'm actually in a pretty good spot right now. If that's the case, I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and sit down. So if things are working well right now, please go ahead and sit down. Okay? So I'm going to pray now for all of us, including myself, who are standing because life isn't working so well at the moment. Right? So let me pray for us. 
Heavenly Father, we, uh, we call out to you now and uh, pray that you would look with favor upon us. We are broken. Uh, we need something. We need a sense of peace and hope. We need uh, a job. We need uh, your hand in our marriage. We need uh, wisdom to know how to deal with children uh, or others. We need, uh, we need health. We need money. I, I, Father, we come before you to say we're broken. It's scary. And uh, in ways that you and you alone can help us move forward, uh, we would pray for that. We would ask that you would look down with favor upon us. We come humbly, uh, acknowledging our, our brokenness and asking for your care. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.